Tonight we're doing the structure and functions of party organizations, how our party is organized, so that comrades will know how our Communist Party is organized. On page 33 at the bottom, the basic organization of the party, of course, is the club. There are clubs in California, Arizona, Florida, etc. That's the basic unit of the party. The other form of membership organization is what we call a shop unit, which we don't have any of that right now. But that is in a shop, in a factory, whether it's a mine or a mill or a railroad terminal, whatever, and even in a store, a big store, people have clubs within that formation, within that factory. The leadership of the club, of course, everybody should know, is an executive committee or the bureau, all right, elected by the membership of the club. And that should consist of a club chair. It should be consisted of a secretary to take notes, a treasurer to deal with finances, and someone to deal with the newspaper. The highest body of the area is called a section. We don't have sections yet in our party. What we have is district committees. That's the next part of body. The highest organization is the district. Everybody is divided into four districts geographically, and every club is a part of that four districts. The highest body above that next is the Congress, which meets once every four years. The second Congress we had was 2016. Our next one is 2020, which means in two years. In between the district and the Congress, which meets twice a year is the Central Committee. A lot of people on this phone call are members of the Central Committee of the Party of Communists, for example. And that leads the party during the Congress period. How are delegates to the Congress elected? They're elected on the club level. Each club should elect one or two members to the Congress. There are cases where people are not members of a club. They should then automatically apply to be delegates to the Congress. We have party bureaus, which we now call commissions. We have about 13 or 14 in our party so far. Each commission is about five, six, seven members, depending, and they are the think tanks of the party. Now, on page 43, it talks about the shop clubs, which we don't have right now, which is very important to have shops in the industrial areas in connection with the working class specifically, the proletariat, which are factory workers. That's what the word proletariat means. There are basic industries. The party should concentrate on all basic industries. And what are the basic industries? This is a good point that new people don't understand. Those which produce material for production, for example, steel, mining, oil, chemicals, those are material for production. Then people that deliver the material to the production, like railroad, trucking, marine, automobiles, planes. Next, those which produce power for running the wheels of industry. Electric power, plants, steam, hydroelectric plants, etc. This is what the basic industries and this is what the material for the production. It is also important to concentrate our energy to build the party in automobile, packing house industries, because of their importance to the economic system. Remember what Marx said, and that is the proletariat are able to change things, 
not because they are inherently revolutionary, he said that's not the reason, but because they are in the relation to the means of production, they're the ones that are capable of stopping the society in its tracks, if they so decide to do that. The United States government has passed several laws to stop that, the Taft-Hartley law and other like that. I'm going to stop there and open up for questions. I made a comment last week on challenges as far as we make a distinction between the proletariat and the rest of the working class. And I'm looking at this on page 43, and even though a lot of production has left the United States, I look at two and three. I look at railroad, trucking, marine. Well, obviously, we got that going on here still significantly, and that will never go away. And also, number three, the wheels of industry, electric power plants, steam and hydroelectric plants. I didn't even think about that. All I thought about was, well, the producers of commercial goods, well, not all of them, but a good deal of left, and I didn't think about two or three. I just thought right. So that's also part of the means of production. That's important, and the workers can shut the thing down if they want it. That's right, if they wanted to. You mentioned that the club nominates one or two members to go to the Congress. I didn't understand that. Was it proportional or based on the membership or what? Number two is, what is the current policy on comrades if they get jobs in basic industries or, or should they find jobs in the industry mentioned? Lastly, how do we assess the current wave of teacher strikes giving the position of teachers? You know, what are teachers? Are they petty bourgeois? Are they proletariat? Okay, thank you. I'll answer those in that order. The first question is, let me tell you how it was done, depending on the size of the party. If you have a large party of over 5,000, which we do not have right now, but if we have a party of that size, each club comes to a district meeting where the district elects the people to the Congress. So therefore, it goes by proportional representation. For example, for every five, you get one. So if you have 10, you get two. 15, you get three. That's the way the OCP works. We don't have that situation. We have to start at the club level, and we have to have a situation where each club, which is our clubs, go anywhere between two to 12 people, unless the Constitution is approved. So that should be put in the Constitution, really. And then it can be changed as the party grows, of course. The other thing about basic industries, the Socialist Workers' Party, the Trotsky Party, what they did in the 70s is people came out of universities and they told them in order to be members of that party, they had to work in basic industries. And there's a term for that, colonization or assaulting. That's what they did. So they came out. You had people who were physicists in college. They came out and they put them in the steelworkers union or they put them in the shipbuilding, whatever. And I know average people who came from that background. The two people I know that came from that background are not, not political at all because they had very bad experiences. They were very angry that they went to college for certain issues. And then their party told them to work as laborers. And so these people didn't stay. I think it has to be endemic. I think what Marx was talking about, it has to be coming from the soul of the worker themselves. And therefore, we have to go into the working class and try to recruit from that working class. As Lenin said, the advanced workers he talks about. In the 70s, 
The CPUSA had a policy for the League, Young Workers Liberation League, that they should get employed in basic industries. And I had friends who were in the League who got jobs at like Harvey Aluminum, U.S. Steel, Bethlehem Steel, Consolidated Can, different industrial enterprises. Some of them left college. They left their studies to do that. And I was asked to leave music and don't pursue music and go and work in the steel mill. I had one comrade, I'm not mentioning names, who told me that they wanted to join a union and become security in the union. What union they should join? And it's like putting the cart first and yeah. then the horse behind the cart. You have to go into a field that you're going to go into first, and then you look around in that field where there's a union. And if not, you try to start a union, which is not easy to do. You don't join a union first unless you know what, what field it is. You yeah, know. that sounds right. If you're going to be a musician, you join the Musicians Union. If you're going to be an actor, you join SAG. If you want to work in an aircraft plant, you join the Machinist Union. But so, you don't join the union first, and then you find out you're not no. a machinist. And most places now have these probation periods. And so the union doesn't want you to join until after you pass probation. The last question about the teachers that are on strike in Oklahoma, West Virginia, Kentucky, those three states. The question is, do we consider those strikes of proletarian workers or we don't? My answer is, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, is that it is not proletarian. I could be wrong on that. Anybody thinks they have an answer to that? I'm a teacher. The trick doesn't come. They're poor. We know that, but are they factory workers? No, they're not factory workers, but they're workers. Right, of course, they, they're members they of the working they, class. They don't want to be workers. They think they're not workers, but they're workers. We call them education workers, right? Right. Yeah, but as far as the means of production... They don't have a direct relationship to the means of production, so I'm going to have to go with their working class, but they're not proletariat. Right. Anybody else? I agree. However, education is an important field because the capitalist class uses teachers yeah. to indoctrinate the youth in order to make them good soldiers for capital. But however, some teachers are demanding freedom of action in terms of curriculum, in terms of serving students a lot better. So in a sense, teachers have a potential in terms of ideology. Right. They do that. You're correct. But they cannot stop the society. We remember the professors that went on strike right. with the students during the Vietnam War. Society yeah, was... existed outside of the university. Nothing stopped. Right. Exactly. My experience in school was it was a factory, and they were producing cannon fodder for us to go out to Vietnam. By stopping school, we couldn't really stop the whole system, but I think we did a pretty decent job. A lot more than those union guys were doing. Right. That's all but I got to the, say. Okay. The question is not whether things were disruptive. The question is, outside of the university, did society function as if nothing happened? And I remember people went to work. They were on the trains. Nobody stopped going to work. In fact, the rest of the students at Columbia, for example, everybody talks about Columbia, 80% of the students continue to go to class. The buildings that were occupied, 
were just set off with barricades from the rest of the buildings. So the means of production, the making of cars, stoves, refrigerators, nothing changed. I also wanted to address the question of why there's so much emphasis placed on the proletariat. It's because it's a particular relation to the means of production. I wanted to stress that. Marx talks about how the proletariat has the capability of doing what is necessary for their liberation. It's because of their position. That's the key word, I would say. Their position in the means of production. It's their position where they are. They're the only ones capable of stopping that society. This is what Marx pushed. Not that they're inherently revolutionary. He never said that. And that's what a lot of people didn't understand. And they said, oh, the working class is conservative. That's not the issue. The issue is they're the only ones capable if they so desire. Are information workers, particularly those information workers that run the backbone of the Internet, are they in a basic industry? As I understand basic industry, it's an industry where disruption of that industry has a potential of disrupting the whole economy. And it seems to me in the current economy, information workers, particularly those very closely associated with the running of the Internet, could be included in that category. So I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. That's a very good Communication workers. They're all communication workers, of course. We didn't have that. When this book was written in 35, and when Marx talked about it in the late 1800s, and Lenin, we didn't have the internet. So it's a whole different thing. I think you hit across a point, comrade. Yes. It's odd because there is a lot of infectious individualism in that line of work, but nevertheless, we're just talking about the people able to shut down production. Correct. And that technology is a part of production. I'm saying they are. What about the cellular towers? or internet towers, whatever you call them, they need maintenance. Will you consider them as well as proletariat workers? That's interesting. Yes, I would. I would consider them the construction workers, the ones who maintain those towers, the construction workers. Today, those towers are needed for the functioning of the communication of the country. Without those towers, hypothetically, if a terrorist blew those up, that would affect communication in the military and civilian areas. Am I wrong? And the financial markets as well. And the financial, yes, definitely. The CP, in their system, they elect people to the Congress. How is the national board then made? It's not made by the people elected. The way it's subverted, at least with the CP, was that the list of people that are going to be on the incoming board is made up by the outgoing board, and it's always the same people. And you can't elect people from the floor. They've got the rules so that it's impossible, because we tried it a few times and got reprimanded for doing it. On that issue, if you stop democratic centralism at the bottom, then it's going to affect the leadership at the top. For example, in the New York State District, they put a slate out for the present district leadership, which prevented new people from coming in. I had the closest vote. They had to wait two hours to then come to a decision on where I came out. Here we are sitting in a room waiting. They went another room. So that whole thing is questioned. 
Why is it two hours taken unless it was very close? Otherwise, it wouldn't have made sense why it took so long. But I think one way to stop that is in our Constitution, and this is something to think about, is to have a discussion on whether or not we would like the present Politburo. Remember now, the old CP used the term National Board. Every other Communist Party uses the term Political Bureau, PB. They changed the definitions of everything so that it didn't resemble the Soviet situation. So they got rid of the term PB, and they set up National Board. They got rid of the term Congress, and they set up a convention. They tried to make it as American as possible, as anti-Soviet as possible, unfortunately. Whether they planned to do it or not, that's what they did. And in our Constitution, while we're discussing it, we're in the middle of talking about Constitution now. Those people on this phone call who are members of the party should be involved in that discussion. And what are the pros and cons of having the present Politburo set up a slate? Is that good or bad? Is it better if each club has the prerogative to elect somebody to the Central Committee? And then the Central Committee will elect the PB. That's a very good question, and I think it's something we have to look at how it was handled before. Now, on some of the shops, and we had this in the old CP, I remember, we had shop papers. The shop paper was the organ of the party in a factory, a given factory, a given office, a given school. It is the most effective instrument in the hands of the club for agitation and organization. It's even better than the daily worker or the newspaper for the party, the worker, because this deals with issues on the shop level. We did this in many, many, many factories and in many places. I'll give you an example. In the City University of New York in the 80s, the communist professors that were part of the party had their own publication. It was given out to the professors and it was a way for professors to give their problems and present it to the shop papers so that workers in the educational field would get confidence in the party because the party would bring up the issues that were a concern to them. The best club that we have outside of the shops is the neighborhood club. And that's why we're saying that there are three people in Texas in the city of El Paso. We cannot allow that to exist without a club. They're within 25 minutes of each other. We cannot have independent people. It says it right here. It's more effective. A communist collective has to be where they can talk to each other, make decisions. So in El Paso, for example, we have nobody on the phone call tonight from El Paso, but we have comrades there who have been on other phone calls. They should form a club in El Paso. There's no reason we have three comrades in Cambridge within 15 minutes of each other, and they don't have a club there. That, that's unheard of. It's a form of sabotaging what we're trying to do. Think about it. Secondary is a person who's not in a face-to-face -face club. So we have that there. We have Texas and in Philadelphia, the same thing. We're going to end the class now. I want to thank everybody for getting on. Thank you, comrades. Good night. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.